and welcome to the Brothers in Armchairs podcast. We are three friends brought together through our years of military service who share a common interest in movies and pop culture. I'm your host, Kenny, and with me always are my brothers, Arnez and Dell. Let's take a quick minute each to give our audience a little background on ourselves. Fellas, what movies would you say influenced you most growing up? Hey, it's Arnez. I'm the oldest of the bunch, and for me, I can remember watching It's Alive and Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Opera. Mary Poppins. Yes, I watched that. And actually, I think the best Disney movie that I remember as a young child is Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Really great Chitty movie. Chitty, wow. I love Chitty Chitty Bang Bang as a kid. I, that's still a good movie. It is. I still got it on DVD. <laughs> well, at least you're saying you have it a DVD and not VHS. So, <laughs> or, or beta. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I busted out my Laserdisc player and I found Chitty Chitty Bang Bang on Laserdisc. Man. <laughs> Dude, I just found the laser disc amongst my pile of stuff. Oh, you still have one. <laughs> well, I have one. <laughs> you have one at least. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. This is Dell. The two movies that I can think of right now that did influence me as a as a youngster growing up. First one is Outlaw Josie Wales with Clint Eastwood. Old Western about a, a good guy who had some bad stuff happen and maybe or maybe not, if he maybe he did some bad stuff, maybe he didn't do some bad stuff, but He's just always trying to do the right thing. And that leads him into a large string of adventures, which was just really cool for me to see. And then the other movie that influenced me was, believe it or not, Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. If anybody remembers that movie, it didn't age well to most people, but I still think it's awesome. When I saw that movie as a kid growing up, seeing a movie comprised of, of minorities primarily, and the star being a black person who, is, who has Kung Fu abilities, and him being the hero and the focus of the story, it was just, for me, it blew my mind and it showed me that the world of entertainment has so many possibilities when a movie like The Last Dragon could be written, produced, and starring Black people. There's some great soundtracks in that movie, too. If I- oh, yeah, I still got the soundtrack. The Glow, killer song. So you may not remember this, Dell, but the first time I ever actually saw that movie was with you. We were in Hawaii. Uh, we were stationed at the base, and we watched it on break one day. We we're in that break area in the back. We were having Fat Boys for lunch, and oh. we wound up we wound up watching that during uh, lunch break. So that's the first time I had ever seen that movie. What was your thoughts at the time? I was laughing. I thought it was great. Okay, so there's a cell <laughs> right there. Play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I give it a play. I give it a play. If, if for nothing else, it's just 80s goodness, right? They'll never make another movie like that. Well, let's hope not. Let's hope not. <laughs> I was thinking the other day, like, there's movies we just don't get anymore, like Airplane and Hot Shots and, you know, Naked Gun and that kind of stuff where it's just parody humor. Well, we really don't get that kind of stuff anymore. I think, yeah. it's, I think, I think we'll get them back. As, it's just a matter of time. I love going to the movies. It's my favorite thing to do. I was a kid. I got to go to the movie theater. I remember the first movie I saw in the movie theater that I can remember. And I just like the idea of going to the movies. It's that situation where you're sitting in the dark theater with popcorn and having your soda and you're watching a movie on the big screen and the sound is loud and everybody's having a good time. And the more crowded the movie theater, the better it is for me. So my dad was a, was a larger than life character for me. And he took me to a double feature one time. And my dad was always the one I could count on to go see some of the you know, really great action movies and such of the day. My mom would take me to see more of the comedy and children's movies, but my dad would take me like, I would think it was 10, maybe 11. I went and saw Lethal Weapon 2 with my dad. So it was a completely inappropriate movie to see for a 10-year-old, but I loved it anyway. So (laughs) (laughs) my dad took me to a double feature one time, and this will explain why I kind of dig cheesy 80s action and gore. 
he took me to see a double feature. It was when 3D movies had gotten very popular. And I went and saw the movie Space Hunter in the Forbidden Zone with Peter Strauss and Molly Ringwald. And then the main feature of that night was Jaws in 3D with Dennis Quaid. And Louis Gossett Jr., I think, was also in that movie. Yes. If I remember correctly, he, he gets chomped up and then he blows up inside the shark. Yeah, I, I liked... I like cheesy action. I will tell you that Space Hunter in the Forbidden Zone is the one I remember the most. It is a crazy action movie that takes place on a, another planet. Peter Strauss plays Space Hunter, who has to go to a planet to rescue some uh, women that had been held hostage. I'm not even really sure what they were held hostage for. And Molly Ringwald <laughs> happened to be the little kid left on the world that he runs into. And I remember that movie being way more interesting than Jaws 3D. So uh, I would say that movie definitely influenced what I like about movies. I own Space Hunter on Blu-ray. I own Space Hunter on iTunes. I cannot tell you the last time I watched it. I just own them and I, I figure eventually I'll get around to rewatching it. Sounds like a live watch opportunity. Well, I'm going to have a birthday special episode too. So we'll just have to wait for that. <laughs> Who's in for some punishment, people? <laughs> I'm going to say... <laughs> For today's show, we're going to start off by sharing some interesting movie and pop culture news happening right now. Then we're going to cover nine movies that are available through a variety of streaming services. But before all that, I'd like to say thank you to everyone who has downloaded and subscribed already. But if this is your first show, we'd love it if you subscribe and leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> So for my news, I wanted to lead off with some information that we had had uh, in our last episode. Arnez had asked the question, how popular was the 1933 Invisible Man? I had gotten the year wrong. We had said, I believe I thought the movie had come out in sometime in the 50s or 60s. The movie actually came out in 1933. Whoa. Yeah, so I had taken the opportunity to look up some information, conglomeration of information that I took from Wiki and from a site called The Movie Diva. If you're looking for some information and you were looking to find out more about The Invisible Man, those are two good places to go. The original Invisible Man was made in 1933. It was the fourth in what we now know as the Universal Studios horror movie classics. Dracula was 1931, Frankenstein 1931, The Mummy was 1932, The Invisible Man 1933, Bride of Frankenstein was 1935, The Wolfman 1941, and then The Creature from the Black Lagoon came along in 1954. Whoa, Yeah. The movie The Invisible Man is actually a combination of two novels. It's H.G. Uh, Wells' classic and a book by the movie screenwriter entitled the, movie, the Murder Invisible. Its practical effects were seen as amazing for its day and frightened audiences with its seemingly mysterious way it was able to show a murderous man as invisible. For its day, it used a lot of colored backgrounds that would blend in. So the actor himself would dress up in whatever the color of the background was as to blend in. And for its day, that was considered amazing special effects. And then, of course, there was always things tied to on lines. There's the opening scene where he escapes from the hotel, and he throws the bike at a couple of kids passing by. And I will tell you that I watched this movie. It holds up quite well, especially for something made in 1933. The movie was considered a huge success. It was Universal's highest grossing movie since Frankenstein. And with reviews for the original Mummy being somewhat mediocre, the movie's single-handedly responsible for saving Universal from the after-effects of the Depression resuscitating its business. So the movie, just to answer Arnez's question, was highly successful. It saved Universal from going out of business and it turned into a, quite a wealthy franchise. They wound up making seven movies based on this one Invisible Man. It was uh, five sequels and two Abbott and Costello movies. <laughs> Abbott and Costello. You know, if, if, if you haven't watched that, 
that still holds up today. That show is actually still hilarious. I just watched it like a year ago. Yeah, I, I love Abbott and Costello. The Who's on First Bit is still one of my favorites of all time. I actually have a book that commemorates that particular skit. Rain Man's favorite bit. So who's on first? <laughs> who's on first? <laughs> so there was no box office mojo, obviously, in the 30s. So it was difficult to find any numbers on this. The only numbers I could find was that 80,000 people in New York saw the movie in four days. So that's kind of impressive. So, so it made like 12 cents? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, nickel a piece. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at that time, it's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> in New York Times, the only critic that I could find was uh, for the day was a critic that raved one of those drop everything and must see it once type of movie. H.G. Wells was cited as saying he wasn't a fan, elaborating that they had taken his brilliant scientist and made him into a sociopath, saying that I guess only the crazy would ever want to be invisible. The Invisible Man has spawned 21 different reincarnations and remakes. Some notables include The Amazing Transparent Man from 1960, which got some love from Mystery Science Theater 3000, The Man Who Wasn't There, 1983, starring Steve Gutenberg, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, 1992, starring Chevy Chase and Daryl Hannah, and in 2003 was a character in The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, for those of you that... And then, because we were talking about the Dark Universe so much, I had dug up some information on the Dark Universe. Dark Universe, for which 2020's Invisible Man was supposed to be a part of, was originally to have starred Johnny Depp and was officially scrapped in 2019. So there is no Dark Universe. Wow. Boo. Boo. I didn't know that we started in that, but okay. (laughs) But you know what? Based off the success of The Invisible Man, I would not be one to say that I'm convinced because in the end with Hollywood, money talks. And if there's a director and producer out there who thinks that they can leverage this into more money as the MCU has shown us is possible, that they will most likely take a shot at it. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree too. My news is up next here. And for everybody out there, you know, I've been seeing a lot in the news lately the last couple of months for 2020 there. We've lost a lot of actors and actresses. A couple of my favorite ones that we've lost, Jerry Stiller, Fred Willard, Kirk Douglas. For me, those are some great actors. Even to this day, Seinfeld, King of Queens are being played in rerun. I think with Fred Willard, he was in Modern Family and Everybody Loves Raymond. I Literally, I watched all those shows literally weekly. And, you know, it's kind of sad we're going to have those uh, actors miss. So, you know, just for me, I would say just give a moment of silence for them as well. You know, just give a few moments for them there, but great actors. They will, they will truly be missed. And yeah, we wouldn't have any Festivus without Jerry Stiller, right? That's yeah. right. The airing of the grievances. I got yeah. a lot of problems with you people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, just the, the decades that those folks, the decades of entertainment and of just genius that they provided the industry as a whole and the amount of stars today who were affected by these folks, it just, their mark is permanently left on this world as we know it. Yeah, and Arnaz remembers, he saw them all in the theater, you know, growing up. I have, did. Yeah. I mean, did. Spartacus, you saw that as a kid? That's yeah, right. I did. That's right. <laughs> in the Coliseum. That's right. <laughs> he saw the real Spartacus. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, like I said, I, I'm really going to miss those guys. I don't think all of them were doing, they were doing small bits and pieces in movies up until their death there. But, you know, again, they'll be missed. All right. So for my piece of the news today, it you know, over the last week, there's been a lot of news coming out. And one thing in particular that struck a note with me was that Sony Pictures had signed on director S.J. Clarkson to helm the next Marvel product that they're going to release. And it's rumored that it's going to be a female centric Marvel movie. 
nobody really knows who it's going to be about or what it's about, or even if a screenplay has been already written, but she has been signed on first. And so we don't have any stars. We don't have any, anything, but she's on the list. And so I saw that and I said, well, okay, who is SJ Clarkson? What is interesting is SJ Clarkson, when I started to look into it, I said, oh yeah, that's right. She, she's been around for a little bit. She started in 99 with the show Bad Girls. And then she went on to direct, write and direct a lot of TV shows, television shows, and no small things. She was uh, EastEnders, Life on Mars, which is huge. If you go to Rotten Tomatoes, that has 100% Rotten Tomatoes scores by critics and audience reviews, 100%. So I have not watched it, but I need to apparently. Heroes. She did some episodes of Heroes, Dexter, Ugly Betty, House, let's see, Bates Motel, Jessica Jones. She actually wrote the wrote and directed the pilot and the second episode. And then she also did three, two episodes of The Defenders. Um, so she has had some practice in that Marvel universe. Her first and I think her only cinema movie is uh, Toast, which had some it's had some great reviews. I have not watched it. I, I feel like I have to watch it now. Uh, so she's been signed on by Sony to, to helm the next Marvel project. But in addition to that, she's also signed on to direct the prequel for Game of Thrones. Hold your applause. Hold your applause. The prequels for Game of Thrones. So if you weren't interested in prequels because maybe the way the show ended, she's in charge of it. And she has a great track record of Crap television ending. shows. <laughs> 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 Nobody heard that. Nobody heard that. All right. So she's signed on for that. She was also signed on to direct the next Star Trek movie, Star Trek Four. That, but that's been put on hold. So it's not that she's not a part of the project anymore. It's that the project has been put on hold for the time being. And so she is blowing up. She is being signed on to helm major projects. But I don't know if it's because she's from the UK. But here in America, I can't seem to find a whole lot of news on this person. And I think it's weird. There isn't more media coverage on who S.J. Clarkson is, where she's going, and what is it about her that is drawing these producers to sign her on for their projects. Because these projects are no small projects. These are major blockbuster projects for a person who has in her repertoire one movie. Again, it's not... It's news, but it's more of me wondering what's going on with S.J. Clarkson. So if you all out there, if you find stuff interesting about this person, please link it to me, send it to me, give it to me on Twitter, email me that information because I'm curious. I want to know. I want to I want to see what is this person about and where is she going? Curious, the Life on Mars that you were talking about, is that the UK one or is that the one with Harvey Keitel? It's the TV show, right? The UK one, yes. Okay, so I've I've seen the Americanized one, the one with Harvey Keitel. It's a fantastic show. I was really upset that it didn't last more than a season and a half. But the UK one is supposed to be amazing. Yeah, oh. Del, you know, I saw something too in the I don't know where I saw it at, but talking about that, yeah, she's going to be making a movie or with all female characters there. And and if I remember correctly, it said something about making some pick someone who's going to be the lead female or something. And it kind of said, insinuated that she's going to be in a wheelchair, but not sure what power she's going to have. Oh, no, that's the rumor about who the centralized character is. And it's a, it's a character drawn from Spider-Man's universe. It, it's kind of a weird thing, but it, and that's just rumor, Arnez. It, the character is basically, she's, I, I don't want to say she's paraplegic, but she's basically invalid. She's in a bed 
Okay. And she can't really move around, but she has all these cords and all this stuff attached to her. And so it looks like she's this, you know, she's a spider on a web, basically. Yes. Okay. Uh, and that's the rumor, but there's no truth to that yet. So here we are, two months since movie theaters have closed. In that time, we've seen many movies which were designated for release in theaters now coming out on video on demand, which pile on top of thousands of movie options and original content made available through Hulu. Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Netflix, HBO Max, and so on and so on and so on. That's a ton of options for Friday night moviegoers and enthusiasts alike. And so, the Brothers in Armchairs podcast decided to divide and conquer. We chose three movies each to watch, for which none of us have seen before, and whether we love them or not, we're going to discuss it here. So for my first movie, it's a pass. I picked The Wrong Missy. So I'm going to read you the synopsis that's on IMDb and probably on Netflix. Tim thinks he's invited the woman of his dreams on a work retreat to Hawaii, realizing too late he mistakenly texted someone from a nightmare blind date. So the movie, it's on Netflix for streaming. It is a David Spade comedy under the Happy Gilmore or the uh, Adam Sandler tentpole. So that he's got the production company there at Netflix. And he made the decision, I guess, to cast David Spade in a non-David Spade-like movie. The movie itself is a romantic comedy, but it doesn't behave really like a romantic comedy. It's really more of a vehicle for the female character played by Lauren Lapkus. Lauren Lapkus has been on a lot of other TV shows that you've seen on many sitcoms. She's very familiar. She's awkward looking, but she can be funny. And this was like a vehicle for her. And the only thing I find really peculiar about it is that typically comedy movies where the female star is the vehicle for it is typically from Saturday Night Live. And this is not that. It plays like a Ben Stiller type movie. It's really uncomfortable. David Spade plays a straight man the Ben Stiller type role, which is not his strong suit. David Spade is more suited for like sarcastic humor. And I would even venture to say that even his one-offs that he did, Joe Dirt and Dickie Roberts, which are two that I actually kind of think are funny, he's still a sarcastic jerk through the entire movie. And this didn't behave that way. This is much more of a Ben Stiller type comedy that they put him as the main. In my opinion, Spade is a better sidekick or bit player. The movie has romantic comedy-like overtones. David Spade's recently gotten out of a relationship with his coworker, and now he's on a Tinder-like app looking for love. There's some hit or misses going on in, in the movie as, as a whole. So getting into a little bit of the movie itself, the David Spade original movie with a typical Happy Gilmore cast. There's Vanilla Ice in this, Molly Sims is in this, Rob Schneider. He also managed to get his wife, Jackie Sandler, and his nephew, Jared Sandler, in the movie. It is a Adam Sandler joint. Sarah Shock is in the movie as well. She plays David Spade's ex, the co-worker that he broke up with. And I'll tell you that it's kind of depressing to see Sarah Shock reduced to an Adam Sandler bit comedy that is not very funny. But yeah, like I said, this is a Lauren Lapkiss vehicle. Lapkiss plays the crazy wrong girl for which Spade eventually falls for, with Molly Sims playing the perfect girl. And it's that dynamic that really doesn't play well, in addition that a lot of the Laura Lapkus bits are not funny. There, I think I pinpointed two actual bits in the entire movie that I thought were funny. The rest were just awkward and you wind up watching. It's like British comedy that goes on too long when they have the same bit over and over and over again and it goes on too long. That's how I felt about the Lauren Lapkus bits. The way the whole thing transpires, David Spade meets up with Molly Sims. They hit it off. 
and he accidentally texts Laura Labkiss's character, who was the first date he went on, which was an absolute nightmare, and invites Laura Lapkus to Hawaii, and it's one of his business retreats, and then comedy ensues, except it's not very funny at all. I gave this movie one and a half stars. I thought it was absolute crap. I think it would have made more sense to play on the romantic comedy of it all. Like, if I'm going to believe that David Spade is going to date Molly Sims, then I might as well get a David Spade love triangle between Sarah Shock and Laura Lapkus. And the only thing that I thought was interesting in that is that there is a threesome scene between Sarah Shock, Laura Lapkus, and David Spade that is probably the funniest bit in the entire movie. And I would have liked more of that. More of that awkward, you know, he makes her jealous. She wants to come back. He winds up falling in love with Laura Lapkus. He doesn't take her. And we don't get that. So, so this is a Happy Madison production, you're saying? Yes. Was it billed as a comedy? Yes. And, you, and you're saying the comedy was so awkward that it wasn't funny? Yes. So Adam Sandler has had some hits and misses. Can you compare the level of comedy of this film to any of his other films that didn't, maybe didn't hit as hard? Yeah, Little Nicky. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> well, was a lot of the comedy just obviously written or no off the cuff? Thing? If you ask me, it felt like all of it was off the cuff. One of the things that right. I don't like about the movie in general and Laura Lapkus's humor is that she thinks that by being absolutely gross, that it's funny. And I would even argue to say that she probably would, would argue back at me, well, if a man were to do this, it'd be hilarious. But I would tell you that even if I had Ben Stiller throwing up and, you know, doing all kinds of crazy drunk nonsense, it still wouldn't be funny. And I think that's where it falls flat. It's just, hey, look at me. I'm an awkward nut. I'm hilarious. And that is not funny. So the only person I could ever see that pulled that off was Chris Farley. Well, give me some redemption. Give me something redeeming on this movie. I mean, I kind of did. The romantic comedy stuff with Cher Shock is is probably the best the best pieces of it. I will tell you that there were three, there were two bits that I thought were funny. The one that I did find funny is when she's drunk and she leaps off of this cliff, drunken at the company retreat party. And this guy bets her that she can't jump off this cliff and live. And she says, I'm going to do it. And he's, David Spade's all like, oh, what are you doing? Don't jump off the cliff. And you know, she's going to jump off the cliff because that's what's coming. And then she falls all the way down where she's, you know, it's that bit where you hit every single canopy on, and then you fall mm. flat on the street. Except this one is I hit every tree branch on the way down and then I land flat in the beach. You, you know, I feel I need to watch it just to see how the comedy falls flat. I mean, there's never going to be a um, Happy Madison production that I don't watch. I, I got to watch them all just because there has been some that that are iconic. There's obviously ones that miss like Little Mickey was that was horrible, horrible on all levels. But if this was as bad as that. It's, it's like one of those things where you say, oh, my God, that stinks. It's, you smell that and then you go smell it. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at with this thing. I, I, I have to watch it. I, I have to. I will tell you, it is a train wreck of a movie. It, it's just really because of the fact that Lauren Lapkus is not very funny and David Spade can't play the straight guy without somebody being a goof. They, they said, hey, let's do the same thing that you did with Tommy Boy. Only in Tommy Boy, he's a sarcastic jerk. And in this one, he's supposed to be Ben Stiller lovable. And he's not Ben Stiller. He can't pull it off. Yeah, especially for us folks, when you when you know he's involved in a project, you kind of, the whole reason you watch is you know what to expect and you, you want that. Emperor's New Groove. Nobody could have pulled that off better, but we already knew what he was bringing to the project. Yeah, um, this is one of those movies where you live for the cameos. 
Wow. So I have to say this is definitely sounds like a pass for me. The, well, you know, it's 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 a pause for me only because I have to watch it. I I just have to. It's a Happy Madison production. I have no choice. I'm compelled. I'll give you this. It is not the worst movie we're going to discuss today. Ooh. <laughs> hey, oh, maybe I shouldn't think about putting it Ooh. in the bucket of list. Just put it in the pause bucket. You know. <laughs> Yeah, you're outside tuning up the car. Maybe you put it on your, your iPhone and put your headset in and just kind of have it in the background, something like that. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have enough vanilla ice in your life, then this might be the movie for you. Hey, everybody. It's Arnez, and this is my pause movie, Pressure, 2015, directed by Ron Scapello and starring Danny Hudson. It's currently available on Amazon Prime. Uh, this movie is basically about a group of men trapped in a small pod on the seabed after diving down to fix an oil pipeline and become separated from their ship. I mean, basically, this is your basically dive movie in the ocean. People get trapped underwater there. I mean, it, the script is nothing surprisingly that you probably have not already seen there. However, it does have some good actors in it and they do act very well. However, at times the script seems predictable. I mean, you, you, you kind of almost know what's gonna happen there. Although this is my one-time watch movie, I will say that the some of the actors like Danny Hudson and Matthew Goody really do really good in their scenes. However, if you are looking for a mixture of male and female, you're going to get very few females in this. I think there's some flashbacks of some wives and children and stuff like that. But this is more of a kind of a male dominated movie. Doesn't have to be, but that's how they made it. As I said, the script was mediocre. The effects, I mean, it's underwater. Don't need many effects for that. Basically, I mean, I was saying these men are trapped in what is considered a dive bell. I think, I don't forget what movie recently came out in the last five years, but basically what happens is there's a storm on the ocean, uh, above the ocean there, and somehow the ship sinks, goes underwater, blah, blah, blah. They only have so much air there. Um, although there is a lead character who is in charge, you know, they're, they're constantly fighting and bickering. It's good. I mean, it's, it's really good acting enough to where you, you want to watch it. You want to keep focused uh, to see what's going to happen in the end and see who survives. Overall, I mean, I don't know what to say about this movie. It is a decent movie. I think it could have been better. But because I do like the actors in it and stuff, I would say watch it. So what's the, what's the action? Like, what is the action about? Like, I, I, I get that they're, they're trapped in a dive bell. They only have so much air. But what are they trying to do? They're trying to get to the surface. I don't want to say get to the surface. They're trying to, so here's the dilemma. They are running out of oxygen. So yeah, but, but I'm trying to figure out like, what, what are they doing there in the first place? Oh, so in the first place, they were fixing an old uh, pipeline on the bottom of the bed floor. Uh, is this, okay. is this an American movie? It is a UK movie. Oh, UK movie. Okay. UK movie. I, you know, I saw the trailers for this and it actually looked pretty interesting. I mean, I had it on my list of movies to watch. I just never got around to it. I will tell you, you know, you like character development. They do really get into every, the four characters that are the main characters, they get into them very well, but it's, it's kind of flashback scene. So you see flashback mm -hmm. scene because it is on the bottom of the floor. You know, as far as action wise, it's them swimming out, trying to get some more, find more air. There's one scene where one guy goes out on a tether to look for some oxygen on the bottom of the floor in the middle. It's dark, it's cold. You know, it's kind of like, really? You're going to try that? I gotta, this doesn't end with aliens, does it? No, it doesn't. No. It doesn't. I, I got to ask, because this does not seem like the normal fare that you would pick. What, draw, what drew you to this movie? And then I got to ask, like, what 
time at night was it when you were watching it? This seems, like, this seems like you had some insomnia and you got up at 2 a.m. and you're like, well, Amazon says I should watch this, so I'm going to watch this. I have seen don't, don't listen to Amazon. <laughs> Amazon steered me wrong. A while back. It's one of those movies I've seen and like, yeah, I'll watch that sometime. I, I did watch it early in the morning. I'll just say early in the morning. <laughs> Were you at the gym? No, no. I was at home. <laughs> wow. I like water movies. And this that's, that's right. You did see that underwater movie with Kristen Stewart. And that looked- this would, I would say it's better. Oh, wow. That movie must really suck. Because <laughs> <laughs> this sounds terrible. <laughs> you know, classifies as a one-time watch is a lot better. The but you better. know what, man? You, you, you're you actually selling me on this. I might have to go hit the play button and, and check this thing out. It, it's a really interesting movie there. Like I said, it's, at times you'll, it's kind of predictable. You'll know what's going to happen next. But, you know, you, you want to see what's going to happen with the characters. The characters are very likable. You know, even though they're bickering a lot of time, but you're like, oh, what's going to happen and there? You, and you know me, man. I need my likable characters. Yeah. And Kenny, it has a carrot at the end. It may not be the carrot you want, but it does have a carrot at the end. The Matthew Good character is Ozzy Mandias from Watchmen, which is where I, I was like, I know oh. that guy. Where do I know him from? And he was Ozzy Mandias in, in Watchmen, which is, is I, I like that movie. It's aged kind of well. I don't know. I like him. You got me intrigued, but I'm probably going to pass on this one. Well, you know, I've had it on my Amazon Prime watch list for a long time, and they haven't dumped it, which means it's probably got a super cheap license of some sort. Character development, a little bit of slow burn, some action, and a carrot. I will probably watch it. I think I'll watch this one. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those movies where you, I would say, don't get up and go or pause it if you do go up to the restroom or go somewhere else there because you'll you'll miss some Parts that you're like, what? Wait a minute, what am I miss? What's going okay. on? Better, uh, better daytime, nighttime, weekday, weekend. If you want to pass the time, I'll just say that. Okay, I like that. Pass the time, you know. I will have to say, you know, when you do watch this, and Kenny, if you decide to watch it, there's not a lot of big action in it. You know, it, it's more of a survival scene. You Dude, know, you're it, making it worse. I definitely <laughs> don't want to see it. This isn't. Oh, you're like, hey, hey, it's got some action in it. It's got some. Wait, let me clarify it doesn't have a lot of action in it okay like <laughs> there's no big action yeah. you probably want. You, i mean the fight scenes or some underwater creature if you want some just good live or good acting survival you know what would people do wait a minute wait there is or is not an underwater creature there is no underwater creature oh okay because that would have that would have taken it down a notch and for see me. that would have sold it to me yeah. you'd have had me <laughs> Yes, there's a gigantic shrimp. <laughs> but would you say... And it wants it was, a people cocktail. Would you say it's a breaded shrimp or more like an angry shrimp? I just, <laughs> well, I can tell you this. The movie is projected over like a four-hour period that gets shrinked down to two hours there. So, so wait, know, it feels like a four-hour movie shrunk down to two? <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> wait, so, so the time span that this movie covers is four total hours? About four hours, yeah. There's so a lot keep, of dialogue in this. I mean, you keep selling it to me. I yes. want to watch it more now. <laughs> Again, this, this is my pause. You know, like I said, I think it is a good one-time watch, but I wouldn't probably watch it again. Oh, well, you got me convinced. I, I'm going to watch this one. Good luck. Kenny, I think you would, you would, because there's a don't lie to me. Don't lie to me just to get a sellout. You know that's what a lie. That's what a lie sounds like. (laughs) You couldn't even finish it. (laughs) All right, guys. I mean, let me 
let me jump into my first my first of three. So I'm going to lead in with my pause, which which is a very surprising pause, and you'll see why. My pause movie is Bad Education. Uh, this movie just came out, even though it's billed as a 2019, it just got released in 2020, and it's available for watching on HBO, not HBO Max. I'm not too sure if it's on HBO Max, but it is available on HBO. Directed by Corey Finley and starring Wolverine himself, Hugh Jackman, the total, the total package. The beloved superintendent of New York's Roslyn School District and his staff, friends, and relatives become the prime suspects in the unfolding of the single largest public school embezzlement scandal in American history. This movie is based on real events, real actual events. And from what I can read, the way it is structured and the events that it references all happened. Of course, it's a movie after all, and it did take some liberties in writing and directing. But overall, the story that you get is the story that actually happened. And what's going on here is you have Hugh Jackman who plays a very charismatic school superintendent named Dr. Frank Tassone. And you really get immediately when you start watching this movie that everybody loves this guy. He's got the charisma. He's got the looks. He's got the swag. He dresses the part. Everybody respects him. Everybody likes him. And he was hired into the school district to raise the caliber of the school district from whatever place they were to the number one in the state. And you find out early on in the movie that they at current, after a few years of him being on board as superintendent, they are at current number four in the state and they're working toward being number one. Now, that itself is a crux of the story because along with raising the level of the public school system come other benefits to the community. Housing prices go up. People want to buy and move in because they want to partake in that school system. And then a whole bunch of trickle effect happens that carry on through the community and how everybody seems to benefit from having a better public school system. Now, that all is important because eventually when it's found out that the char- Pam, Gluckin's, Pam Gluckin, who's played by uh, Allison Janey, her character is found to have been sneakily embezzling money from the school system. Okay. And so at that point in time, now you're getting, now you're getting that view of, oh, where there it is. You know, we have corruption. Uh, She's taking money from the system and now they got to go find out how she did it and how much she stole and all this stuff. And from that point through the rest of the movie, things just start to snowball. And this is probably, I want to say a half hour into the movie after you get a good feel for who the characters are. Ray Romano is in this movie, but it's, it's done really well to the point where you understand who these people are and what their purpose is in this movie is supposed to be. But 30 minutes in, once it's discovered that Pam Gluckin has been stealing money from the school system, everything starts to escalate. And it go, it's like a, almost like an episode of, of Three's Company where one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, and it just keeps snowballing and snowballing, snowballing. But it's revealed very slowly how things tie together, which I absolutely enjoyed, that everything is not out there immediately for you to, you to know or for you to figure out. You can figure it out, but it'll take a little while for you to put the pieces together, which I think is the point of the way they structured the film. And I did not read ahead of time the true story behind the film. I instead went in reverse. I watched the film first, then I read the true story. But it builds very well throughout the movie. It is considered to be a black comedy drama. So it is not any, there's no slapstick comedy. There's no witty comedy in this thing. There are some funny portions, but some people will find it funny. Some people won't find it funny. All depends on your brand of humor. Uh, However, it is 
it is attention worthy. Uh, Jackman's portrayal of the of Doctor Tassone it kind of sucks you in. The guy is just a phenomenal actor, and what he brings to this character it just makes you want to keep watching this show. The show itself it, it's 108 minutes long. It does not feel like 108 minutes long. It moves in a in one direction. It doesn't backtrack. Everything starts to tie in together, and toward the end you get that climax where everything comes to a point and then it explodes. You will not be disappointed by the way this thing ends. In history, in reality, the two main players, the Jackman character, Tassone, and the Glucken character, they both are found guilty of embezzlement. I think Jackman have been found guilty of almost $3 million worth of embezzlement. And Janie's character was uh, Glucken, who was found, I think she was like $4 million plus embezzled from the school system. And uh, both, yeah, both of them ended up doing some time. And it, of course, it led to a cascading effect of people being fired from their jobs and other people being arrested. And then so-and-so testifying against so-and-so to, to get a lighter sentence. And all of which is absolutely true. So if you can imagine just watching this movie, you're thinking this movie could be totally fictional and it'd be an awesome movie. But the fact that this was actually based on real events and it was done so well and entertaining that it wasn't exactly that real life drama, hardship documentary style story. Instead, it was just a very entertaining show. And then to find out that everything was actually true really brought it home for me. So very impressive film overall. I only say it's a pause because it's a one-time watch and it is a black comedy drama, which a lot of people don't like. So that's the only reason why it's a pause for me. I went in thinking that it was going to be a funny show because that's the way the trailer set it up to be. And like I said, it, it might be funny to some people, but there wasn't a lot of humor in it for me. I think that I think that Jackman is the one that sold the movie for me. Hmm. It sounds interesting. So it's kind of there's a gear around the like a high school type of movie. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. So so yeah, it's the film is set in Long Island, Long Island Village, Roslyn during the early 2000s. Oh okay okay yeah yeah. So it seems to be not your typical public school system that I'm used to. I mean, they do seem like they have money and they are in a not affluent, but uh, maybe an upper middle class community. So it's not like it's not like they're struggling for money or anything like that. It does seem already like these people, these children have everything set up for them, but then it's slowly revealed that the reason why everything looks the way it looks, the reason why the children have the things they have is because Dr. Tassone, Jackman's character, who has brought all of that to the public school system and helped to elevate that public school system as a whole. The Hugh Jackman choices post Wolverine have been kind of unique. The front runner and now this. I personally like dramedies. I like those movies that kind of walk that uh, dark comedy with a little bit of history and drama. I think I'm actually kind of interested to watch it. Does the movie center around one particular high school or does it mostly take place in the administration? So, yeah, it's it's focused on the administration but it, it is all set in one particular high school because this, the story itself was actually, was actually broke by one of the students. Oh, okay. Yeah, really? and, that, and that's, that's actually true to history. That's what actually happened. A student did all the research, peeled the onions, and put all of this together and then had that unfortunate decision of whether or not to make it public. And then she actually broke it at the school level and then it went, statewide every every paper within the new york tri-state area covered it oh wow 
Yeah. Yeah, this movie does sound interesting. Yeah, man. this this is a play for me. I'm definitely gonna check this out. This I I saw the previews on HBO and of course I love Hugh Jackman. I'm down. Yeah, I mean, no matter what, I was going to watch it anyway. I just thought there was more laughs to be had, especially when you give the combination Allison Janney and Hugh Jackman. I thought that the chemistry between the two was awesome, not in that comedic sense, because they did bring a few laughs, but it wasn't necessarily laugh out loud kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely a watch for me. Uh, I don't know if I'll classify it as a play afterwards, but definitely a one-time watch. Oh, you guys are easy sells. All right. I got some icebergs. Exactly. (laughs) This is my pass movie, Breakdown Lane, 2017, directed by John Schultz and Robert Conway and starring Whitney Moore, available on Amazon Prime. A little description of this movie, uh, when Kirby Lane's SUV breaks down in the middle of the desert, she must overcome the dehydration, coyotes, and lurking undead to find her way home. I'll have to say- survival film. Yeah, it sounds amazing, dude, just from the write-up. <laughs> yeah, so, so this one's in the desert instead of the ocean, right? Correct. And this one I have it's, to uh, say. Starring a Japanese guy and an American soldier. <laughs> and they're trying to. <laughs> no, this is a blonde female, American female. Arnez, it sounds to me like you're listening to Amazon. <laughs> Amazon is making recommendations based on your film watching. <laughs> He passed him up. He's all like, oh, it said I should watch it, so I'm going to watch it. <laughs> Actually, I saw the cover for this one. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I was looking it at interesting. I was like, okay, you know what? A survival movie. They say zombies in it. I'm like, hey, I'm going to watch this. Pretty girl with a crowbar and a bunch of dead zombies around her. Yeah, it looks interesting. Wait, whoa. Okay, okay. Yeah, keep keep going. Keep going here. I, yeah, the zombies thing. All right, I'm in it now. Let's, let's keep going. <laughs> well, I will tell you, the only pros about this movie was the character Kirby, uh, which is played by Whitney Moore. She looks like a total, a total woman that can just kick butt, fight her way out of stuff. And she's cute. That's all I will say about that. (laughs) I I took an opportunity to look at her uh, IMDB, Birdemic, House of Demons, Thrashtopia. This is a lot of B movies. Yes. (laughs) A lot of B movies. So, so this definitely falls within the Arnez genre. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I, I passed on this one there. Yeah, but this is the kind of pick I was expecting. The other one was sounded way too serious for you. This is way better. <laughs> <laughs> I liked her as a character. She had decent acting skills, and I would have, I would like to actually see her in some bigger movies. You know, this movie had a very low budget. And it's pretty obvious when you watch it that fight scenes, the the blood on the zombies, like they went to Kmart and got the makeup from there. The fight scenes were really over the top, but it wasn't very gory. They have actually a scene in there where she is actually pushing her SUV pretty much everywhere she goes. She can't be more than five, nine, and she's pushing the SUV, a full-size SUV that's out of gas. And the only reason she's pushing it because she has something like an OnStar and she's talking to this other character in it. And he's her only, he's the only person that's kind of guiding her through the way. He's trapped in a warehouse somewhere and he's the only live person you can talk to. So you, you kind of, they do mesh together very well. But hold you on know. a sec. This is a zombie apocalypse? Yes, it is. Well, that wasn't in the initial description. I know, right? It was just about some girl driving into town and then yeah. suddenly zombies happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Zombies are everywhere, apparently. I mean, this is why it's a pass, though. <laughs> <laughs> They really don't talk about the zombies in the opening credits, but when you start watching this stuff, you have zombies in it. I'm like, where did these zombies come from? Really? You know, 
it it, it kind of comes into my mind that this reminds me of when we were talking about Forbidden Planet and Dell was telling us about how they had actually made another movie and they were using some of the footage from one movie into the other. (laughs) (laughs) So this movie is actually a conglomeration of like three or four failed pictures that they threw together and made one good one. You stitch it all together and then had her act out all her parts in one single afternoon. That's right. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised because the budget seems like that. Like I said, I like her as a character, but she's the only one. Her and the guy, Max, that was on the phone talking to her. As far as the other characters there, oh my goodness, really bad acting. Just so I'm, still trying to, I'm still trying to figure out how if there's a zombie apocalypse going, a dude is actually at the OnStar office waiting for somebody to call. <laughs> Well, so they do. They they actually do a good job of telling the story that he is trapped, so he couldn't get home. Oh, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> and they had Adele on set that was trying to like <laughs> listen. We gotta have to explain how this guy's trapped in the OnStar office. <laughs> yeah, so like seriously, and and she was actually going to visit her boyfriend. He has no clue where she's at. Not at you know. They don't actually go to him to say. I think she talks to him a little bit when she breaks down. And her phone dies, you know, and the whole time I'm thinking, you're in a car in a desert. You don't have a phone charger that hooks into your car. Really? Not in the movie budget. <laughs> no, that's it. She was like, I ain't using my own phone for this movie. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, if you do, it's tax deductible. <laughs> right. There you go. <laughs> this is not a movie that I, I plan to watch again. I can't even recommend it, but I will probably recommend Whitney Moore and I'm probably going to watch some of her other movies there to see how they turn out. I mean, they look really bad, so. (laughs) I think think Amazon Prime's got you covered. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, this guy's watching all our trash. (laughs) Hey, the license for this one was like three cents. Oh, that Arnez dude, he'll watch it. You know, though, you know what, though, Arnez, I'm getting like this Tarantino kind of image of this movie, this Dust Till Dawn uh, mishmash kind of movie going on in my head. Man, I, I, I know I know I shouldn't watch it. I, I really know I shouldn't watch it. <laughs> you kind of I don't know. I, ah, I think I might sucker watch born every minute. Oh, man. <laughs> Oh. Dude, he even said it was a pass. He's telling I you know, it's bad. <laughs> I know, but the way he's talking about it makes me want to watch it. Kitty Adele likes to know about characters, and they do a decent job of getting into the characters. You know, <laughs> do, do I get to know any of the zombies? <laughs> I mean, do they well, have there's, development? There's this one guy called Hank. He likes flesh. And <laughs> I ain't going to lie, though, Arnez. It, it just sounds kooky enough that I don't know, man. I think I have to watch it. The script, I would say the script needed a lot of work. If the script was better, I think the lead character, she could have pulled off. It would have been better for her if the script was better. As far as the other characters there, I think the script, if it was at a better written level, maybe it would have made you think about them better. But uh, I mean, other than her... <laughs> The other characters are just like, what So what I'm getting out of this, Arnez, is if the script had been better, the acting had been better, maybe if the direction had been better, the movie just would have been better. The only redeeming one is her, and she's okay. <laughs> Kenny, I will say funny, this. If they gave her a cell phone. <laughs> yeah. Kenny, I will say this, though. I think I would have probably liked to see her as uh, Captain Marvel. I think she could have pulled it off. Wow. 
Hey, there's there's a sell for me. I'm in, man. I'm watching this thing. Well, I like Brie as a big Captain Marvel, so I'm okay with our Captain Marvel that we have right now. So yeah, I'm a I'm gonna I'm a pass on this. Uh, if Arnez is telling me it sucks, it sucks. <laughs> the only thing he didn't say in here is that it was so bad I gave it the finger. So it must not have been that bad. He's 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 telling me it's a pass, but the way he's talking about it makes me want to watch the dang thing. <laughs> Go watch right, it. You know, it, it, I have to watch it. It's a pause, but I have to watch it. I, I might come back and say it's a play. I don't know. So I'm going to caveat this with by saying, Del, you're doing this under your own fruition. Neither me nor Arnez are telling you to watch this movie, so you cannot hold it I, against it. I, I, I know. This will be completely my fault. Completely my fault. I will own this. I've warned you. Kenny's warned you there, but you're on your own. Arnez, you've been, you've been selling me today. You're helping me out on my movie choices. Okay. So I saw the movie Dangerous Lies. It's a Netflix original movie. I gave it a pass. It is probably the worst movie that I have seen in a long, long time. It is the write-up on this is when a wealthy elderly man dies and unexpectedly leaves his estate to his new caregiver, she's drawn into a web of deception and murder. If she's going to survive, she'll have to question everyone's motives, even the people she loves. It's starring Camila Mendez, who plays Veronica on Riverdale, Jesse T. Usher, who played A-Train on The Boys, Elliot Gould, and Sasha Alexander, who played Isles from Rizzoli and Isles. This movie is, it's billed as a throwback movie. And when I say throwback movie, I mean like 90s thriller style. So you remember those movies like Malice, Fatal Attraction, and things like that? Those 90s thriller movies that we had gotten back in the day that kept you on the edge of your seat that had big twists and stuff that would happen. And you'd be like, oh, wow, what a great movie. It had a good twist. Okay, yeah. this has none of that. No, this is terrible. So, I mean, have you ever watched a movie so bad you can't help but to watch to see how it finishes? <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it, this, this movie is that movie. That it's so bad that at some point you're just like, I just have to see how it ends. I, if this was a movie theater, I probably would still sit and watch it because it's so bad. I don't get it. So just to give you a little background on this movie, Katie and Adam are married. Katie works as a care caretaker and Adam, well, Adam's unemployed. See, he was going to go to med school, but then after he saves a diner full of people from a robbery, he decides, eh, school's for dummies and spends the rest of his time out of work, letting the bills pile up and continually fails job interviews. Meanwhile, Katie, in four months' time, has gone from waitress at diner to being a caretaker for good old Elliot Gould, a rich guy with no family, and his only friend is Katie. Feeling sorry for Katie, Gould gives his stupid husband, Adam, a job as a gardener, a job kind of demeaning for someone that was going to med school, but hey, we'll let that slide. The movie kicks off with a rescue in a diner. She's the waitress at the diner. He's supposedly studying for med school. They go out to the car on her break. They make out for a little bit. And then they come inside and there's a robbery going on. And he winds up saving them from the robbery. Now, I don't know what happened to his life post-robbery, but from four months from being a hero to a zero, where he's got no job, no job opportunities, no nothing. And he's probably one of the dumbest characters I've ever seen in my life. This is a stupid movie and everybody in it is stupid. And it has, the movie itself has so many red herrings, you could drive a Patton 3rd Legion army tank squad through them. It's that bad. All right, let me give you some more that happens in this movie. Let's start with Adam. Adam goes from going to med school to, to, med school to letting the bills and student loans pile up. 
He has no job aspirations and takes a job as a gardener, a job he knows will get his wife in trouble because husband and wife tandems at the same job site are frowned upon and taking money from your employer's old person who is being cared for is also dumb. He tries to get his, his wife in trouble while an inspector for the healthcare facility is there to check up on Katie. He tries to mack on her in the kitchen. Uh, why? You have no other job propositions and your wife is the only breadwinner. Is it so bad that you have to drag her down with you? Like, it's that bad. This is the kind of bullshit that happens in this movie. <laughs> then there's like some sort of robbery and there's like diamonds involved. And they didn't really make a whole lot of sense. But like the previous gardener apparently died in the garage. But no one bothered to be like, oh, it smells like a dead body out there. But nobody notices. But they find him at Diamonds. And then the boyfriend's like, I'm not going back. to, Or the husband, excuse me, the husband, Adam. He's like, I'm not going back to the way life was. I'm going to change life the way it is. And it's just one bad thing after another. Supposedly, when Elliot Gould dies, he's got no family. He winds up leaving her the whole house and everything in it. But yet they find this. So I give you this, this one scene that happens. Elliot Gould dies. And after he's died, no one calls the cops. She's just standing there next to him like, oh, Elliot Gould died. I'm so sad. Meanwhile, Adam, the husband's like, hey, this trunk over here is unlocked. Let's go through old guy's things. And you're, she's like, no, we, we should honor him. We should, we should just sit here and mope in front of him and not call the cops or anything. He's like, well, I'm going through this trunk of shit. And you're like, no, don't go in the trunk. What are you doing? And they open the trunk and, whoa, lo and behold, it's like $100,000 in cash. Now, what the cash is doing there, it's never explained. No one ever explains where the Wait, money came from. so they just leave from. it? They no, just... no, he takes it, and he's supposedly going to get in trouble for it, but then the guy gives her the house, so everything in the house is hers, so I don't understand why the cash is a big deal. It's ridiculous. It made no sense, and it isn't even the major plot line of the movie. Well, they're just kind of making stuff up as they go along. Yeah, they were. <laughs> so, so, so they did not get the writers of Breakdown Lane involved in this movie. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> they had a really, they had no budget, huh? No, it, it's so bad. So many stupid things happen. And she never calls the cops. And for some reason, she has like no friends. And I watch Riverdale. I happen to like her as Veronica, but I never noticed this before. But in this movie, she's got like a sling blade overbite. That's really distracting at times. Oh, and it's hey, just kind of oh, weird. Okay, you, you, you totally ruined my visual. <laughs> now all I got is Billy Bob's sling blade in my head. <laughs> French so rod taters. Bad. Mm. I wrote down some stuff that I just thought was just ridiculously dumb that's in this movie. So there's some weird diamond heist. Some dude has been dead above a garage that no one has smelled at all. Adam and Katie discover the body and no one calls the cops. Adam says, I'll take care of it and dumps the body in a dumpster with all the physical evidence still on the dude, like a backpack with the guy's name in it and a connection to the rich guy, Gould. What a bunch of freaking idiots. The lawyer who's assigned the will turns out to be in on the whole thing, which was a huge twist because it didn't make any sense at all. And, it, and she had constructed some sort of actual lawyer-like heist with a fake will and getting a client off as a defense to split the diamonds. Like, what? It was crazy bad. <laughs> What was this film billed as? It was billed as a thriller. And if you watch the trailer, it uh -huh. really does look like one of those old 90s type style thrillers. So it wasn't thriller comedy or dark comedy thriller or anything no. like that? Thriller. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm trying to find some ray of light here. The ending has some weird shootout, a hiding of the jewels. And in the end, Katie keeps the house and the cops ask no questions. 
No. Wow. This is such a hard pass for me. I gave it one star and I recommended watching for drunk teenagers at 2 a.m. looking for something or anything to watch. It is the dumbest movie I've ever seen. Why one star? Uh, because I don't give anything less than a star. Wow. I'd so give you- no stars if I could. Wow. <laughs> Man, it was that bad. It was that bad. Well, you know what, Kenny? I don't have a whole lot of questions to ask you about this one. <laughs> there, there, there is no redeeming comments whatsoever. I, I have no interest to watch this. And I did see the trailer on this movie. I The trailer looked good. It looked good. But it perhaps it's one of those trailers where they really had to engineer the heck out of that film to come up with a trailer that could sell people to watch this damn thing. Whoever's in marketing, they got to give that guy a raise. <laughs> okay. <Wow. laughs> so, so, so let's look him up and give him some hype credit. That's right. <laughs> and that way, that way we'll look at who made the trailers and that'll give us a tip off on how this movie's going to play out. It, it was so bad. Was this like up and walk out of the movie okay. theater type of movie? I, I would say yes. But there's always that moment, that threshold where you cross over from so bad I got to leave to so bad I can't leave, right? It's, I have to know how it ends. It's that bad. Like, I, I got to know, and they don't there, explain anything. There has to be a point in this film where you can be okay with walking away from it. There's, there has to be a point in this. But when is that point? I don't know. I never got there. Wow. I had to see what, because they kept introducing new shit that didn't explain the old shit. So it was like, every time I turned around, I was like, oh, now there's a diamond heist. So wait, the the cash, the cash is in the bank, but not in the bank anymore. Where'd the cash go? Oh, wait a minute. She's, he's, he comes into the cop's place to say, hey, I was told to come down here and give an interview. The cop says, oh, you weren't come down to, we didn't call you to come down here and give an interview. He leaves and then she's like, I'm going to investigate this thing. What dumbass cop has that much time in their world that they're like, somebody came down and asked a weird question and now I'm going to investigate. Let's open an investigation. <laughs> it's that dumb. So, so listen, <laughs> what I'm getting from you is, is one, it's a ridiculously horrible movie with no redeeming qualities. Two, don't start watching it because once I start, I won't be able to stop watching it because I'll have some, because it gives me just enough hope around for a little while longer and then it just keeps delivering that little nugget of hope kind of like game of thrones yes (laughs) it is the last season of game of thrones i i i will tell you that entire season i kept telling myself it's gonna it's gonna work out everything's gonna be okay listen the writers (laughs) they got our back they're not gonna drop this on us stupid ending surprise (laughs) (laughs) all right kenny i'm with you I'm with you. I'm not even going to put this thing anywhere near my radar. I'll let it go. I join you there too, Dale. I'm going to pass on this one. <laughs> Good men, both of you. <laughs> well, it was compelling, man. You, you you definitely unsold the heck out of that film. Good sales tactics tonight, fellas. <laughs> Came to play. <laughs> here's my, I'm just going to say, here's my gem for today. All right. This was a very pleasant surprise. Very thrilled to have watched it, and I'm surprised how many people have not watched it. My play for today is Togo, 2019 film directed by Erickson Kaur and starring Willem Dafoe. And it's available on Disney+. Plus. So this is one of those movies that we were flipping through Disney+, Plus, and I saw the image of Dafoe with a dog in the snow. And it rhymed, so I figured, hey, 
why not check it out? And so me and the, the wife and the kids, we turned it on. And it, it's just a phenomenal film, phenomenal film. I'm, I'm so surprised that a lot of people just have not watched it. Anyway, the story of Togo, the sled dog who led the 1925 serum run, yet was considered by most to be too small and weak to lead such an intense race. That little synopsis of this movie really doesn't do it justice. The whole the whole event itself that this surrounds this movie and the characters that are at the core of this movie are all part of real events, all part of historical events. Disney, of course, took a lot of liberties in the way they made the movie because they got to give it that Disney thrill, which definitely worked. But everything about this movie from the way the dog was found and raised and the amazing feats that the dog and the owner had done together for Alaska and for the town they come from was all true and factual. I'll give you a quick general synopsis of the movie itself. The movie surrounds the dog, which is which comes to be called Togo. The musher, Leonard Sapala, raises this dog in 1925, and then they eventually do the serum run. So the first part of the movie shows how Leonard Sapala, Willem Dafoe, how he gets the dog. And in the beginning, the dog is small. The dog is not what he thinks it is. And so he goes through this battle of wills between keeping the dog, giving the dog away. And as far as anybody who likes a great dog movie, this definitely fits the bill because Disney does so well giving this dog character, giving this dog personality. You know, it's rambunctious, it's intelligent, it's dedication and loyalty cannot be stopped. You know, there's a, there's a scene in the beginning of the movie where he finally has enough with his dog and he decides to give it away. And so he gives his dog away to, I'm assuming, somebody in Alaska who's pretty far away from where he's at. Eventually, a few days later, the dog escapes and makes his way all the way back to Sapala and his property. From that moment, Sapala figures, hey, you know, can't get rid of him. Well, let's see what he can do. He's small. And, you know, you see that he's small, much smaller than the other dogs that are used for the sleds. But eventually he kind of thinks, hey, maybe this dog can lead my sled. And so he starts to incorporate the dog as the lead dog and eventually figures out that, yeah, this, this dog is smart, it's intelligent, and the other dogs are willing to follow it. So it becomes eventually becomes the alpha lead on his sled. And that's the development between the, in the relationship between the two as they go along the years. And then everything comes to a head when this, this disease hits the town and they're so remote that they don't have serum or medicine. They have a doctor, but he doesn't have the serum he needs to cure these folks who are dying. During that time, the only way to get medicine that far into Alaska was plane, but there was a storm ongoing, and so there's no way for the planes to come in, and so they decide to set up a sled run. And it's not one sled, it's a series of sleds, like almost like a relay race from point A to point B and back to point A. But, you know, I, I don't want to minimize that. I mean, you're, you're talking a few, uh, I think it's like a couple hundred miles or something like 828 miles, 828 Damn. miles in the snowstorm. And so this is the journey that the sled dogs and their masters have to go through to get this serum. And then if you can imagine back in those days, I mean, you're talking, um, geez, no 1925, board. there's no like styrofoam cooler with, with uh, foam to hold the vials together and all that. This stuff is in a box. All right. And there's no shock absorbers on a sled. So if you can imagine how hairy it is to get a wooden box filled with uh, glass bottles of serum and then sled it 828 miles. Right. And so this relay race actually really does take place in the movie. It's it's amazing. The, the scenery, the 
the action and and the the way the way that they portray the landscape is treacherous you know it's done in a way that you know disney is masterful at it it's incredible and you're just watching a guy and his dog and the, the way they do this it, it's 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 intense man i mean it hits you hard it hits you fast and there's moments of pause but it just keeps building and building and of course the end game is to get that serum back to the town so that the doctor can cure the people who are who are dying which you know it, they do actually he does actually end up finishing the job which made them infamous throughout the country they made national headlines and all of that the kicker on this story is that because it was a relay race there were several sleds and dogs involved and for the longest time i mean you're talking probably she's 70 years had gone by where the bulk of the credit had been given to the wrong dog, so much so that there's a statue of that dog, I think, in New York City because they celebrated the wrong dog. And it's not that that dog didn't do the run. The dog did, but it wasn't the dog that carried the lion's share of the relay, which happened to be Togo. So this movie is in tribute to the historical reconciliation of finally giving the proper recognition to Togo and Sapala, not only for their contribution to sledding and to the, the bloodline of the dog itself, but also crediting them for having held the lion's share of, of this monumental task and being ultimately responsible for saving all of these people who would have otherwise died. It's just, if, you, if you're a fan of the underdog, if you're a fan of the relationship between man and dog, if you're a fan of Disney movies, if you're a fan of adventure, if you're a fan of wilderness adventure, this is your movie. I can't say enough about it. It's appropriate for the whole family. Everybody should watch this movie. This is a big, big, big play for me. Well, sounds really interesting, Dell. I'm just, just kind of curious. How do they mess up getting the dog name wrong? Or? So the dog that was given the credit is named Balto. I believe the name, the name is Balto. And if you just Google Balto. They made an animated movie called Balto. They did. They certainly did. They made, uh, and that was, I think, in the 80s, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's just, that just goes to show that Balto got the lion's share of the credit. And it's not that Balto didn't do anything. It's just that Balto did not do what Togo did, which was the bulk of the run. Hmm. So that, that I find that curious that that happened, but curious enough also to, to want to watch this. To see. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, you got to think about the day when the day when all of this took place. Mm-hmm. News is not exactly accurate. It's it's rumor based. It's based on whoever spoke at the time. And it's just, we're you know, I'm thankful that history corrected itself. Information is out there. And oddly enough, a lot of people knew what had happened. And even Sapala himself, when the newspapers were released and it gave all the credit to Balto and his sled and his uh, sled driver, Sapala was disappointed but not so much to the point that he would correct anyone. He felt that they did the job and that he was pleased with it being done. So what time frame was this? Uh, this is in the 1920s. And I asked that because I was stationed in Alaska as well there and back in the 80s. Well, I lived there in the 80s, but I also got stationed there in the early 90s there. And I can imagine. Ooh, that cold. Yeah, so, and, and so if, you, if you're familiar with Alaska, you know where Nome, Alaska is, right? I do, sure do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where this was, Nome, Alaska. That place is treacherous, treacherous. And anybody familiar with Alaska terrain and the difficulties of surviving up there, even in today's modern era, think about it back in the 1920s. Oh, oh. And, so, and again, Disney does a fantastic job portraying things as it were back then. 
So I remember seeing the previews for this movie and I kind of skipped it because not because I'm not interested about a dog movie, but because William Defoe is the main actor and I have often found that he is not a good main. So I'm just curious, how'd he do, you know, like, was he compelling? Is he not the real focus? I mean, I actually be more of a sell for me if he's not the main focus. So that's a great question. I would argue that Defoe is not the main focus. The movie's name is Togo. The movie is about Togo. Granted, it's a dog, but hey, we've seen a lot of movies with dogs as a main character. Defoe journey. Yeah, yeah. Defoe is Defoe. He's doing his thing. He does. From what I read, he did a good job portraying himself as the actual Sapala. I think he did a lot of research on this, and he talked to people, and he did a he did a very respectful job of his portrayal of the man himself. I like Disney. I like Disney Plus. I've been very impressed with what they put on the service. So, I mean, I'll give it a watch. I'm already paying for it, so I might as well check it out. I, the only reason why I would say it'd be a pause is just because I'm not a fan when Defoe is the main guy. I mean, body of evidence comes to mind when I think of Defoe, and he was awful in that movie. Well, look at it this way. It's, if, you have, if you're paying for Disney Plus already, this is a gem that's just laying right there for you to take advantage of. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to check this one out. Yeah, definitely a, a, at least a one-time watch and then go from there. I think I, I'm, I've got no fear that you guys will enjoy this film. And if you don't enjoy this film, then I might need to reconsider who I'm podcasting with. Rename the segment Togo Pass. It's <laughs> yeah, Togo Pass. Togo <laughs> <laughs> My last movie that I saw, I saw the movie Scoob. It's only available for video on demand. So wherever you get your video on demand, whether it be Vudu or Amazon or iTunes, that's the best place to get it. It is, of course, based on Scooby and the gang. I will tell you, this is my play. I really, really enjoyed it. I was surprised. Scooby and the gang face their most challenging mystery ever, a plot to unleash the ghost dog Cerberus upon the world. As they race to stop this dog apocalypse. the gang discovers that Scooby has an epic destiny greater than anyone imagined. So the movie starts off with Scooby and Shaggy as kids, basically. Those who are, of us who are a fan of a pup named Scooby-Doo from the 80s, this is a nice throwback movie to that. I will tell you that whoever directed this movie or whoever wrote this movie has a lot of love for Hanna-Barbera and the original Scooby-Doo. Do you guys remember Where Are You, Scooby-Doo from the 60s oh, yeah. and 70s yeah. and the music and the theme song? They do a CGI update. Hold on that, a sec. Hold on a sec. I'm I'm having a hard time remembering. Could you could you please? Give oh, you me a want me to hum you a few bars? Yeah, yeah. Would you mind? You know where mind? it's like uh, Scooby Dooby Doo. Where are you? We got dun, some dun, work dun, to do dun. now. Yeah. Whoa, so that look one. At you go, man. Stops. <laughs> Woo. See, Arnez, that's how it's done. All right. Now I know what he's talking about. That's okay. how. That's how you sell. All right. <laughs> the director did a frame by frame recreation of that theme song all in CGI. Yeah. I was automatically in love when, when I saw that. So the movie starts out with them as kids and you find out that Shaggy, they give an update to him so that he's more like a millennial kid, or I should say whatever, whatever the current generation is, they're not millennials, but yeah. he's just a current kid. He's have difficulty making friends. He stumbles onto a beach where Scooby is hiding from because he stole the falafel one of those big falafel machines that you would <laughs> shave the, the meat off of. So he stole one of those. He's hiding out on the beach and Shaggy and him happen to run into each other. And you find out how Scooby gets his name and you find out that Shaggy's real name is, I think it's Normville. Normville. Yeah. 
uh, the whole movie is just a testament to Hanna-Barbera. And for me, the nostalgia of it all was pretty amazing. I didn't really even care that much about the plot. I just lived for every moment that seemed to happen right after the other. You get an introduction to Freddie and Wilma and Daphne. And, you know, they all meet as kids. They have their first mystery in a house. They unmask their first person. And then it moves on to today's. They have like a Simon Cowell character who comes in. He's looking to invest in Mystery Inc., but he doesn't want to do it because Scooby and Shaggy don't have a part to play. And of course, those of us adults that are watching it know that their play is that they're the heart of the gang. While Fred, Wilma, and, and Daphne are doing their thing for Mystery Inc., Scooby and Shaggy wind up getting off on their own mystery and they get sucked into the Blue Falcon and Dino Mutt which I was kind of excited to see. I loved Blue Falcon, but they did a little twist on it. Blue Falcon, the voice is played by Mark Wahlberg, who could play Blue Falcon by himself. He doesn't need to be the voice. He could just be Blue Falcon. But he's not the original Blue Falcon. He's the son of Blue Falcon because Blue Falcon is retired. He's Brian. Blue Brian Falcon. <laughs> His persona is a little different. Ken Jung plays Dynamut. And I wasn't really a big fan of how they switched him because in the cartoon, Dino Mutt was the idiot and Blue Falcon was the serious guy. But in this updated version, Blue Falcon is the idiot and Dino Mutt is the serious. Wait, Dino Mutt played by Ken Jeong is the serious character? Yes. Wow. He plays it straight. Yeah, almost makes no casting sense, but okay. (laughs) Does seem like a waste of Ken Jeong, doesn't it? Oh, and and Wahlberg. Yeah. Actually, Wahlberg's timing for comedic purposes, is pretty awesome. The he does guy a really, can do just about anything. He's really good in the movie. Zac Efron plays Fred. Amanda Seyfried plays uh, Daphne. So the casting in this movie is pretty cool. I enjoyed it. I it, it just brought back a lot of great memories, and they work in a lot of Hanna-Barbera characters. I think the, my least favorite is Captain Caveman that they worked in, and mostly because you can't do Captain Caveman justice without Mel Blanc. And they had Tracy Morgan doing Tracy Morgan type stuff as Captain Caveman. And for a younger generation, I'm sure they'll find it hilarious. But for me, I was living for the the Mel Blanc Captain Caveman. You know, I was living for that. So what did Tracy Morgan Caveman sound like? He gave you Tracy Morgan. You know how Tracy Morgan, you know, I want to talk about Captain Caveman. You know, that's that's Tracy Morgan. Tracy Morgan. (laughs) Say what? Sounded like Bill Cosby more than Tracy Morgan. Well, you know, <laughs> so let all me my ask impressions you, are winners. Let, let, I'm sorry to cut you off. Let me ask you a question because yeah. now you got me curious. So there's a, lot, there's a lot of nostalgia, a lot of tribute being played that you see in this film. I'm not a fan of a rat cooking, yet I love Ratatouille. I don't really care to see a movie about a trash a trash sorting robot that brings back humanity to earth, but I love the movie Wally. So if I've never seen Scooby-Doo ever, will I like this movie? As an adult, probably not. As a kid, yes. Wow. If you are under, if you are age 12 and under, you are going to like this movie. The plot line of finding the dog, or fighting the dog Cerebus uh, involves Alexander the Great's dog. And you find out that Scooby is a descendant of Alexander the Great's dog and that only Scooby can open the portal to the underworld. The bad guy in this movie is played by Dirk Dastardly. Do you guys remember Dirk? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And his dog? Uh, Wacky Racers, right? Yeah. But do you remember the name of his dog? Muttley. Yeah. 
the whole movie. Yeah, yes, really- I'm I'm old. I know. I know. <laughs> so the funny part of this whole thing that I thought was really sweet was that Dirk Dastardly's plan had been originally to send Muttley into the underworld to collect the Alexander the Great's treasure. But the portal only worked one way and Muttley couldn't get back. And so Dirk Dastardly invents this whole plan to kidnap Scooby so that he can unlock the underworld to what you think he's going to go get is the treasure. Because he keeps talking the whole time as I'm going to get the treasure, I'm going to get the treasure. What he really wanted was his dog back. He wanted Muttley. And so it's like this really sweet twist where you think he's going to jump down there and go steal all this gold and stuff. But what he really wants is his dog because since Muttley has left, his life has been empty and meaningless. So I found it really sweet. And Sounds pretty I, intense for a kid's cartoon. <laughs> I, I thought it was great. I really did. I, I, I'm going to watch it this weekend with my niece and nephew, so I will have to tell you how they take it. But I will tell you that from a nostalgia point of view, Dell, you're going to like this I could tell you that I, I know Arnez will like it because he liked the same Hanna-Barbera cartoons that I liked. You're going to like it, though. It's got enough Scooby-Doo nostalgia to, to bring you back into it. And, you know, it, it has enough of things that I'm familiar with. I'm not enthused to watch it, but I know my kids want to watch it, so I'll definitely watch it. My thought on it, though, is without the nostalgia factor, is it worth people's time who are not familiar with the Scooby-Doo world? So I think kids are going to like it. I would tell you that Scooby's had so many reincarnations on television. I'd be hard pressed to find a kid that's never seen a version of Scooby-Doo. Yeah, I think but the this mystery one, machine was the most recent. Yeah, that, I will tell you that this one is more throwback to the 60s, 70s version, which is the kind that I like, the one that I grew up on, and has aged quite well. It's still very watchable to today's standards. Also, when you're watching the movie, pay attention to the credits. Through the end credits, they introduce a slew of Hanna-Barbera cartoons. And I wanted to give one more throw out to one of the characters. On the Blue Falcon's ship, they have a a third character by the name of D.D. Sykes. I wanted to test you guys' nostalgia. Do you know what cartoon D.D. Sykes is originally from? That would be a negative for me. Oh, I'm thinking too. I'm trying to flip through the pages and yeah, I'm not catching anything. She was one of the Teenagers. She's from Captain Caveman and the Teenagers. And they repurposed her as part of Blue Falcon's crew. And I thought that was kind of cool. That was kind of neat. Well, especially since uh, HB is gone, right? That's right. Yeah. So I think Johnny Bravo was probably the last project they worked on. I mean, yeah, I think that was the last original cartoon they had. There's been a lot under their name, under their banner. Obviously, Cartoon Network is Hanna-Barbera for the most part. So I wonder how many other of the original Hanna-Barbera cast was involved in this film, especially if they're doing throwbacks. I did a lot of digging. I didn't see any other throwouts, but I will tell you, if you pay attention to the credits, they threw on a slew of characters. I'll just give you one. I I saw Jabberjaw in there. Hey, Jabberjaw. So, Kitty, I have to ask you. So, I'm sure you saw previous Scooby-Doo movies. So, how would you relate this? And I think there was one after this one, but Scooby-Doo, The Mystery Begins. How would you relate it to better, worse, what? This is the best one I've seen since the first live action movie. And I didn't really love the first live action movie. It was just okay to me. This is that one the was Freddie way- Prince one? Yeah. Oh. This this one was way better than that. I am never a fan of taking a cartoon and making it live action. I prefer they keep it a cartoon and just give me a new cartoon. Definitely sound like a good watch then. All right, I'll watch it. I'll watch it. You got, I mean, for the nostalgia's sake, I kind of have to watch it. I think every, anybody who's grown up in the 70s, 80s, or who's rewatched simulcasts, if you're an adult, 
Sounds like we got to watch this thing. I know. Sounds like a winner. (laughs) So when you watch it, though, I'll be curious to see if the questions regarding your kids are answered. But knowing that they're your kids and you're bringing them up right, I would assume they've seen some (laughs) Scooby-Doo. Well, so my my children are definitely fans of the Scooby-Doo cartoon series from the old from the old originals all the way up through this later reiteration that was on Netflix. But you know, they also see the Funko Pops laying around because you know I collect the Hanna Barbera Funko Pops, and they'll point at them and be like, "Dad, what's that?" And I'll tell them. And then eventually, through some kind of weird retro commercial or something, they'll see it and they'll be like, oh, that was that thing that had in uh, case in point Jabberjaw. I love the old Hanna-Barbera stuff. Yeah, I'm so familiar with the Scooby-Doo that there's not a whole lot of questions for me to ask. Plus, you know, I've seen a lot of, from the trailers and some pieces of it enough to know what you're talking about. And I, for nostalgia's sake, because once I saw Blue Falcon, I was like, ah, I got to watch this. Just be aware it's not your Blue Falcon. I I, I know. But, you know, regardless, I I have to watch it. And now I have to hear Tracy Morgan as Captain Caveman, which (laughs) is weird. Tracy Morgan, if he's doing anything aside from being Tracy Morgan, it's weird. Well, that's the thing. It's it's just Tracy Morgan as Captain Captain Caveman. Yeah. But it's not like he does him justice. It's funny. I I would venture to say kids will find him pretty funny. It's got some good... Well, Captain Caveman didn't didn't really talk. It was Captain Caveman. Well, he did a little bit. No, he's about it. Unga Bunga. Yeah, Unga (laughs) Bunga. That's right. Unga Bunga. Anyway, we we digress. (laughs) (laughs) This is my play, Black Rock 2012, directed by and starring Katie Selton, available on Hulu. Basically, this is about three children, three childhood friends who set aside their personal issues and reunite for a girls' weekend on a remote island off the coast of Maine. One wrong move turns their weekend getaway into a deadly fight for survival. I'll just say this is our hunt movie. I mean, you have people hunting other people here. Uh, in this case, it's three women getting hunted by three men. Rotten Tomatoes, that it was 52%. I actually really enjoyed this movie. I thought the female lead characters in this movie, they were all great. The acting was good. I've become a fan of Lake Bell. She plays a Me character named too. Lou in it. And usually she's not a lead role. In this one, she was a lead role and she did quite well. I mean, I was surprised. I was like, okay, I'm uh, intrigued. So just give you a little about this movie there. You know, you have the, these three women who had some issues when they were younger. I think one of them slept with another one's boyfriend or whatever. And then they kind of went their own ways. But because they were, grew up together, they still kind of kept in touch. So this was a opportunity for them to get back together and kind of make amends of everything. Well, of course, this small island happens to have three male friends on it that were hunting for something. They never really said what they were hunting for. And things go wrong when the girls invite them back to their camp area there and they start drinking and stuff. And one of them almost gets raped. She has actually ends up accidentally killing one of the guys. I will tell you that the guys aren't very... I think this movie could have been uh, released at the theater if they had better male characters. They just don't seem very interesting. You know, it's just like, eh, okay, you have guys here. The acting was okay from the guys. You know, I mean, they weren't bad. They weren't B-movie actors, in my opinion, but they weren't great to make this movie a success, I think, more successful. I think the character Abby there, in the beginning, she seemed really timid. As you watch the movie and learn about the characters there, you're like, okay, she's kind of a timid. She's the one who's having the issues. She's the one getting a divorce. And she turns out to be the badass in this movie. You know, there's one scene where they're huddled together in a little fort they made when they were little kids there. She says to Lou, 
let's stop being stalked and let's start stalking. I mean, just to look in her face when she says, ah, that, I mean, it's almost the old, I'm not running anymore. Yeah. Ah, I like that. You know, so this was kind of a, I think they listed as a horror thriller there. It was pulse pounding because you never know what's going to happen. I think the women definitely carry this movie and I applaud them for that. I would just say, see, watch the movie. I mean, and another good thing about this movie, the ending was just, I think it was awesome because at the ending, they actually do get off the island and they take the guy's boat that they came to the island with there. And they have this scene where they're coming back into port there and you have the pier there with some fishermen and people all on the, and you have these two women just blood all over them and everything there. And you have everybody just kind of stop what they're doing as they slowly wade through the water to get to the pier there. And they're just looking and just faces just drop. And these women are just kind of staring like, hey, I just survived. I'm <laughs> I'm home. <laughs> So just so you know, Arnaz, I, I saw this movie. I actually, I saw it when it first came out. I too love Lake Bell. I also like Kate Bosworth, who's one of the other girls in the movie. You might remember Kate Bosworth from Blue Crush and oh, yeah, yeah, Lois yeah. Lane and yeah. their Superman Returns. I liked the movie as well. I gave it a pause, though. I think it's a one-time watch. And I will say that they don't spend a lot of time on the guys because they want them to be the monster of the movie. So the movie's about essentially girl power, right? It's about these three friends that band together to make it out alive. By not concentrating on the men, you are leaving them to be these unknowns, this mysterious, scary being that's going to get them. But I didn't, that was the problem is that the, the men characters, they just weren't scary. I mean, they just kind of, uh, something about them just wasn't there. I think it missed. I think if they had some, maybe some bigger actors in those roles, they could have, I think this movie could have been a lot more successful. So, or, or maybe they just muted their characters a little too much. You know, it, would, it wouldn't be a far stretch to give them stronger stronger personalities in the film without taking away from the strength of the female characters. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's a good minute, yeah. That's a good argument. I mean, it definitely sounds like an Arnez movie. I, it was really entertaining. I agree with Arnez. It was one of those movies where there's a lot going on screen. There's a lot, te- there's a lot of tension. And when a movie can bring you in and give you that kind of tension feel to it, then it's going to have enough to propel you through the whole thing. It doesn't, it, I think the movie's what, like 90 minutes long. It yeah. doesn't feel like an hour and a half. No, you, you, you are, you are engaged the entire time. Yeah. But I'm, are there zombies in this movie? No zombies. <laughs> None of the guys turn into zombies? No. Because I'm not, yeah, I'm not interested in this. It's just, oh, it's just, oh. this, it doesn't sound like my bag. Well, you know, the, the thing about the capture that kept me involved was they do have a few, I think they kept this movie really classy. They have a couple of nude scenes where they actually have to, uh, <laughs> they have to swim out to a boat. You know, it's Maine and they don't make it. They swim back and realistically, the best thing to do is take off all your clothes. So what they, the way they wait, wait, I'm sorry. You're all, they kept it classy. They kept it classy. There's a nude scene in this movie. <laughs> Let me finish. <laughs> it was an erotic nude scene. It was, it was a necessary nude scene. Oh, okay. Oh, so necessary. Well, okay. So I'm sorry. Explain to me how it was necessary. So, what I was talking about, Dell, is that they don't actually show any TNA in this movie. No. You see side views of them. You see them huddled together, trying to get warm. Realistically, if, you're, if you've been in cold water, you've got to take off your clothes. So they do that. They don't make it like a movie and, you know, basically have them put their clothes back on five minutes later. You know their clothes are freezing wet. They actually go through the night without the clothes and they're doing stuff through the night there. 
And just to clarify for folks out there, when you're wet and cold and you have other people with you, the point is to take your clothes off and huddle to share body warmth. Don't just take your clothes off and go hang out by yourself naked. (laughs) Daggone it. (laughs) (laughs) I I just needed to clarify that point in case somebody decides to blame the brothers in armchairs for giving them bad survival tips. (laughs) But I mean, overall, like I said, I think this is a play. I think I may add it to my movie collection because wow. it, it's done well. I well, I mean, the, the cast alone, I mean, that's a star-studded cast. Yeah, I, I got to agree with Arnez on the Lake Bell piece, though. I, I find her to be really, really good in everything that she's in. Del, I don't know if you remember who she is, but if did you see the show Surface? Yep. Yeah, she was the main character in that one. But, I mean, she's been in a lot of television. Most The most recent movie I remember seeing her in was a movie called Man Up with Simon Pegg. It's on Netflix. It's a rom-com. It's it's pretty funny. I like Lake Bell. I think she's funny. I think she's a good actress. And she's got a TV show out right now. Um, yeah, with Dax Shepard. Bless This Mess, I think is the name of it. That's it. Yeah, I'm going to pass. Oh. There's uh, something that I'm not feeling it. There's something about this show that I'm not, even if there were zombies, I think I'd still pass. So we give you a genuinely decent picture and you pass. Yeah, but you not... take the play on the crap film that the both of us told you is going to suck. It's a dude on, <laughs> it's a dude on OnStar. He's, he's, crap. he's by himself guiding a, a lady through the zombie apocalypse. Uh, come on, man. That's a sell. <laughs> well, hey, come on here. You have women using a, a small blade. To sharpen. <laughs> so what so, Arnez is not telling you is that one of the guys is actually an OnStar agent, and he's talking to the girls <laughs> through their through their boat throughout the entire thing. He's, he's tormenting them with an OnStar voice. <laughs> I, I don't know, guys. There's just something about this that's not hitting with me. It's you know, I, I know you're selling it as as your play about the ladies. You know, they kind of go through their struggles of. What was going on in the past and what's going I mean, on? In the present I like a good woman power movie. Um, The Descent. That was a great movie. Something about this movie. It's just not. I'm just not feeling it, man. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Maybe you got me hooked on on zombies and cheesy stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I I'm gonna give Martin some credit. This isn't his wheelhouse. This would have been a movie he would have chosen regardless. This is not. I mean, it has its cheese factor. This movie does. It appeals to the cheesy people. But I will tell you that, you know, he would have picked this regardless. He would have gotten to this movie eventually. (laughs) Amazon Prime would have found him eventually. (laughs) (laughs) This is a Hulu. Come on. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's a Hulu show. Yes, a Hulu. Oh, that's right. We don't have a lot of Hulu shows. One day when I go over Arnez's list, I'm going to podcast about his queue, and I'm going to let you guys know everything that's in his Amazon Prime queue list. <laughs> I have some good ones. <laughs> and I'm going to show you guys, uh, you know, I do have some B movies, but I have a wide range of movies that I do watch. I, I know you're selling this one as a play, Arnez, and I just, I, I don't see me watching it. You never know. Don't discount it. I might put it on the list, but yeah, I just... <laughs> Some about it. Just, it's not appe- it's just not appealing to me. All right. Kenny, what about you? I've seen it. So, uh, to me, it's a pause. It's a one-time watch. All right, guys. So I'm going to drive it home with the ninth movie of the day. This is my, my third and final movie. Overall, this is the last movie we're going to be discussing. Final movie of the day is Capone 2020. And this movie for me, believe it or not, and it breaks my heart, but this movie for me is a pass. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. So Capone 2020, uh, directed by Josh Trank and starring Tom Hardy, which everybody knows is one of my favorite actors right now, is available on VOD. The 47-year-old Al Capone, after 10 years in prison, starts suffering from dementia and comes to be haunted by his violent past. So I'm going to expand a little more on that. So Capone, early on in his life, like in his teens, he contracted syphilis. And even throughout the time where he was in prison, his syphilis was never properly treated. And so it eventually turned into neurosyphilis, which starts attacking the brain, causing dementia, and basically degrading your body. So your body functions start to fail, and eventually your mind is what's left, but it's not really all there, and then you die. This film is about the last few years of Al Capone's life post-prison, where this neurosyphilis really starts to take over. The film starts... And it's kind of that scene, right? You're talking about Al Capone. So you're thinking Chicago, you're thinking Italian, you're thinking the mob. It starts off with Capone, with Tom Hardy's Capone, and he's chasing the children around the house and out into the yard. It's Thanksgiving Day at his very posh mansion that they have in Florida, which is where Capone has been sent to reside with his family, who's going to look after him, especially his wife, May. So that scene, he seems pretty normal. Things are still stable in his life. He's talking to the children and family and everybody's thankful that he's home. So this scene is obviously showing us that he just, he just recently was released from prison. I think it was Alcatraz at that time. And then he was sent to live with his family. And although he's under watch, he's not under any house arrest or anything like that. He is allowed to enjoy some freedoms because the ideal here is he's too far gone to be of any harm to anyone out there. That's where the film starts off, starts us off with, and then it progresses. And to wrap, to not give out a lot of details, basically what you're seeing is the director, Trank, has written us a story through the eyes of Capone. Like, what was it like for Capone to slowly lose his faculties? What was it like for his wife, for the, my assumption is for the mobsters who were tasked to guard his house, and for the agents who are still thinking that they could squeeze some information out of him. The film progresses and it goes forward. And like Kenny was talking about earlier, there's these little nuggets that Trank has written into there. There's this rumor that Capone has hidden $10 million. And so that repetitively comes up in his memory and in conversation. And then there's also this thing where he's sort of through guilt and through his past violence and bad deeds, he starts to see all of these people from the past and they seem real at first, but if you've ever seen A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe, they're not real. And so these are all things of his imagination. And so it gets to the point in the film where you're really no longer sure. If you're not going to go look it up, you're not sure what's real and what's not real for Capone. Because remember, this story was written to be a biography on Capone's final years. As far as Trank was concerned, that's what it was billed as. And so I think it was a biographical drama film. I think that's what it was billed as. And so you're not, as a a person watching this movie, I'm not sure what's real, what's not real. There are some things that are extremely obvious are not real. And there's some things that are not obvious to whether or not it's, it's real or even has ever happened in his lifetime. But that's basically the movie. It just keeps progressing. And the farther it goes, the worse Tom Hardy's Capone becomes to the point where finally he dies. And then the story kind of fades away from that point. Is this an uplifting film? No. 
Is this a thrilling film? Is this film capture you and, and make you want to watch more and more? Unfortunately, yes. Because Tom Hardy is involved, his portrayal of an elderly Capone is just incredible. It's it's uh, captivating. It's, I don't know, it, it's just something I had to watch it. I must warn everyone out there that there is no redemption in this movie. And I'm, I'm still today, I'm thinking, why, why, why did Trank write this screenplay? And why did Tom Hardy agree to portray, to act in this show? There's no redeeming qualities in this show, aside from the fact that we get a glimpse what life might have been like for Capone. And we get to see the genius that Tom Hardy brings to an elderly Capone. Outside of that, there's nothing in this movie. It, it, is, it is depressing. It is embarrassing. If I were Capone's family, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'd be embarrassed by this movie. So then I said, okay, well, what about the historical accuracy? Because that might be a redeeming factor here. And so I looked it up, uh, several different articles. And as it turns out, according to family friends that were present during the time, they offered up statements, they've offered up interviews. There was no point in time where Capone had alleged that he hid $10 million. That's, that's a complete falsity. And while he was dealing with dementia and he was, his body and his mind was slowly in decay. The family had set things up so that nobody could access Capone ever because he, because they had said that he was starting to, real Capone was starting to talk about events from the past, which they felt was the wrong person hears that, then something bad could happen. And so they, they isolated him so that he couldn't dime out people unknowingly or he couldn't cause harm to anybody unknowingly. Even a lot of that of what we were seeing with visitors and whatnot, that wasn't historically accurate. So there was a lot of inaccuracies in Liberty's taking to make this movie. I think without the dramatizations that Trank wrote into this, this movie would have been even worse than it was already. The only redeeming quality is Tom Hardy. And so if you're a Tom Hardy fan... I think you have to watch this movie. If you're not a Tom Hardy fan and you're not a Capone fan and you could care less about history because there's really not a lot to be had in this film, then this is a solid pass. You can skip this one. And, and believe me, that that hurts because I, I love Tom Hardy. That sucks. I hadn't seen the movie specifically because I'm not a Josh Trank fan. I did not like Chronicle. His Fantastic Four movie is an absolute abomination of Marvel cinema. It is terrible. When I saw he's making Capone, the only driving factor to me was Tom Hardy. And maybe they would give me a little more history. I'm kind of a Capone buff. I like the Untouchables. I like that whole era, the Elliot Ness, the, the Capone years, I guess, is basically the best way to describe it. And I was familiar with a little bit about his after prison life. Just so everybody knows, he wasn't, his term of service was not done. He was released from prison early because of the fact that he was dying and he was mentally unstable. And Dell hit on that a little bit, but it was always interesting to me that this guy was so far gone, the state basically didn't want to waste any more money keeping him. And so they were like, yeah, we'll just send him home. I don't recall anything written about Capone that addresses any kind of information they were able to get out of him when he was falling apart. By the time he left prison, he was so far gone. There was no way he was going to be able to tell anybody anything and people believe it. When I saw this movie, I was like, oh man, Tom Hardy is Capone. Okay. And then I saw Trank's name associated to it. And I kind of feel like Trank is a jerk in real life. 
the interviews I've seen him give, the things I've heard him say, he blames everybody else for his missteps except his own responsibility. <laughs> I was immediately turned off and I said, I don't think I'm going to watch this, but I want to watch it. And so when Dell said he was going to review it, I was kind of excited. But to hear this, yeah, you just confirmed all my fears, man. Everything I thought that was going to stink about this movie, you just confirmed. You know, it's funny because I actually saw the previews for this too, but I'm just not a Capone fan or and even that era. So I mean, even the movies come out there, I just doesn't attract to me. And then now you're telling me this is all drama, nothing really exciting about this movie. Maybe if I was a fan of John Trek too, and maybe if I wanted to know about Capone, a little history about it, but yeah, I don't. I have to go pass on this. Yeah, and so what I was thinking that just to satisfy one of the most attractive things about Capone in an entertainment standpoint is his time as a mobster, right? If if, if that wasn't the case, then then why why would anybody care? Nobody wants to see Capone the dry cleaner or <laughs> Capone the car wash dude. We want to see Capone the gangster, and that that's where he is most synonymous. And so what I thought was going to be incorporated is some scenes where we kind of get some throwback young Capone played by Tom Hardy. And we get to see that vi- that violent villain, that mastermind from Chicago that, that ran the outfit, right? Not the case. You don't get that. What you get is an old Capone having flashbacks in the past, but he's still old Capone. Yeah. So they, I don't even get that little nugget. <laughs> and, and, sounds like know, a loser. It sounds like it's, a real loser. <laughs> it, it's it's going to be rough. It, you know, he raised $20 million to make this movie. It was when it came out, it had hit the record for the most VOD, for making the most VOD money in a weekend. Wow. It got, it got that. So it did get one record in the bag, but it's not going to be sustainable. The word will get out on this movie. I think if you just Google it, you're going to find a whole ton of negative reviews. I actually couldn't find a very positive review by any critic out there. I think that that word will definitely get around it for the you know two people that listen to this podcast. They all know. I mean, they'll tell two friends and they'll tell two friends and it'll keep going. But yeah, it's just unfortunate that that an actor with the caliber of, of Tom Hardy participated in this movie. For him, fantastic job. It's just I kind of sit here and think, why? Why, why that role? So what you, you know? need is a mashup where all the young stuff is played by De Niro Capone from The Untouchables. <laughs> and then old Capone is Tom Hardy. No, I might actually have to go watch the De Niro Capone in Untouchables just to get a little something back. You know what you should do is you could actually remake this movie with a flip-flop and put De Niro as old Capone because he's old, and you could use (laughs) Tom Hardy as young Capone. I've already made a better movie, people. That's how bad this is. (laughs) You know what, man? There's a scene in this movie where old Capone, played by Tom Hardy, is looking in the mirror, and what he's looking at is a young Capone who is young Tom Hardy. And that image of Tom Hardy as Al Capone looks right. He looks like Capone. And I think that, man, would I love a young Capone, Tom Hardy movie. So what Dell is selling right now is a remake of The Untouchables with Tom Hardy as Al Capone. Oh, if he gets if he gets the majority share of the attention, yes, absolutely, yes. Less Ness, more Capone. Because <laughs> I mean, think about it. When I you mean, we had the- Kevin Costner as Elliot Ness, that's why <laughs> that's why we got more Ness. <laughs> <laughs> no, but when you watch, I mean, De Niro in that. Sorry, digressing, but in Untouchables, Robert De Niro gained forty pounds for that role and killed it. He killed it, and he only has a very tiny little part of that movie, but he makes such a huge impact. Man, when I saw that movie, I thought to myself, I needed more De Niro as Capone. 
And again, I'm thinking I need a young Capone with Tom Hardy because when you see that scene, if you watch this movie, when you see that scene and you see what he looks like, does he fit the bill? Absolutely, yes. And I'd like to see that happen. I feel even worse. Like you should ask Josh Trank for your money back. Say, listen, <laughs> you raised $20,000 to make this crap. Can I have my $4.50 back for rent? No, no. I want my nineteen ninety nine. Oh, you bought it? Yeah. You bought it? It's Tom oh. Hardy. It's Capone. I, I, you know, I went in without reading about it. And I was excited and, you know. Josh Trank, if you're listening right now, <laughs> you owe Dell $19.99. Uh, plus tax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, by, I'm, it's a I'm pass, by, dude. I, 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 yeah. can't, I can't be any more explicit than that. You, <laughs> you confirmed every fear I had about this movie. It's a pass. Okay. Arnez? Yeah, I, I told you earlier, it's a pass. It's just too, selling it too slow for me. Oh, it's slow. It's extremely slow. I mean, that's enough alone there. Unless there's some bits and pieces that's going to keep me interested, but I'm just not a fan of that era. Pass. Yeah, I think the only cookie for me is I got to see some another side of Tom Hardy's uh, acting repertoire, and I get to look forward to his next project. All right, fellas, let's recap our recommendation for each movie. Arnez? My first movie, Pressure, I gave that a pause. My second movie, Breakdown Lane, I gave that a pass. And and Black Rock, I gave it a play. Dell Started off with Bad Education, that was a pause. Then I moved into Togo, which was a big time play. Everybody should watch that. And then I bummed everybody out with Capone, and that was most definitely a pass. And for myself, The Wrong Missy, which was a pass. Dangerous Lies, which was also a pass. And Scoob, which was my play. Before we sign off, for you military folks out there, active reserve or retired, we'd love to hear from you too. What are the movie favorites in your unit's movie locker? We'd like to introduce a segment called The Movie Locker in which we discuss what movies make it into the regular rotation while on deployment. The good, the bad, and even the ugly. So drop us an email and let us know. Don't forget to subscribe and review us on your podcast listening app. We'd love to hear from you on email or social media. You can email us online at brothersinarmchairspodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's brothersinarmchairspodcast at gmail.com. You can visit us on Twitter at broarmchairs. Again, that's at Bro Armchairs. And join our Facebook group, Brothers in Armchairs Podcast. Follow our Instagram, Brothers in Armchairs Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we hope you catch our next episode in two weeks. And for myself, Arnaz, and Dell, this has been Brothers in Armchairs Podcast. Goodbye, everybody. Peace out. Aloha. up to what you've done. Don't take the easy way out. We'll tell her we did it. Remember, it's better to tell the truth. And that's no lie. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe!